Welcome to Inside Personal Growth Podcast. Deep dive with us as we unlock the secrets to personal development, empowering you to thrive. Here, growth isn't just a goal, it's a journey. Tune in, transform, and take your life to the next level by listening to just one of our podcasts. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from New York City uh, is Julie Cantor, PhD. And she has a partner on this book too, or co-author, I should say, Felice Eckelman, JD. And when you get the book, my listeners, you'll see why the two of them teamed up and how why it's such a good team. Um, because Thrive with a Hybrid Workplace, Step-by-Step Guide, um, there are elements of the legal side and elements of the psychological side that have to be dealt with. And Julie is the one that deals with the psychological side. Uh, good day to you. How are you? Yeah, it's great to see you. And thanks for being having me. Well, it's a pleasure having you. And this is a topic that I think many, many people, especially in the business world, want to learn more about. Uh, I wouldn't say they're at, at the fake it until you make it park, but um, some of them kind of are. But I'm going to let them know a little bit about you. So Dr. Julie Canner is a seasoned executive coach and consultant uh, and transformative coach with over two decades of experience. Um, she's the go-to catalyst for change in both individuals and organizations, offering a unique blend of business acumen, psychological insight, and systems analysis. Uh, her clients span the spectrum from small partnerships to Fortune 500 giants, making her the ultimate executive resource. Uh, her mission is to help craft efficient, profitable, and trust-driven workplace cultures. Through her tailored training programs, Julie's expertise spans leadership transition, team building, and addressing performance challenges. She's also a trusted ally for managers striving to turn around tricky situations and individuals. Uh, she's a frequent Forbes contributor on leadership, coaching, and employee engagement. Julie's insights have even graced the, paces, the pages of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and her latest book, which we're talking about right here, right now, whoops, turn it that way, Thrive with a Hybrid Workplace, uh, Step-by-Step Guidance for the Experts. Well, Julie, let's just kind of kick it off because, you know, this whole thing, I'm not saying it did or did not exist, but it certainly didn't exist as much before COVID, okay, uh, or the pandemic. Not as much as we've seen today. And it's thrust people into this ever-evolving environment, and the whole dynamics of it uh, has changed the way people work um, drastically. Could you speak with the listeners about some of the major issues faced really in trying to design implement and succeed with a hybrid workplace? Uh, it's a great place to start. Um, I think the first piece that if we talk about the issues, if we're talking about employers and we're talking about employees, we're talking about big, there's a big difference between the two issues. Um, so if we start with the employers, because they're the people who are signing the paychecks, um, their issue, and, and you know, if we, if we, boil it down three years later. And I say that um, no small point because this is still evolving. Um, I can't tell you the end of the story because we're living it as we speak. 
Um, but so what are employers dealing with? Employees are dealing with at the bottom line is productivity. I mean, that's how they keep the lights on is having employees who are producing whatever their quote unquote product is. And it may be um, intellectual property and services, which is a big part in terms of hybrid, the hybrid world. Um, you cannot have hybrid work for people who are creating a thing. If you're working in manufacturing, but for the senior le level leadership, hybrid is not a viable option. So this is really about people who are intellectual workers. And so they're facing issues of productivity. They're facing issues of morale um, and engagement. I contend we had the great resignation in the very beginning of the pandemic because there was no connection. And if I didn't like you when you were my boss, I could didn't have to see you. I didn't have to speak with you. I could send you a text of two words and says, I quit. So where are we a few years later, now employers are facing that challenge of how do we get our employees engaged and productive? The shift for employees, um, first of all, when we in lockdown, it was a whole world unto itself. And given the scope we have to talk about, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time of lockdown because luckily it was a slice of time. Um, but employees have gone through having to question what had been an established way of living for a long time. And so the good news is, is people found the joys and some balance. And if I could be so crass, they're not working as hard. And, and we can, again, have a whole other conversation as to whether employees should or shouldn't be working as hard. But it was really employees went through a questioning of what is the balance of my work and my life in, in producing it, as well as how am I getting the work done? And, and I think we'll get into this conversation more, but it's not, when, when you look at hybrid, we're looking at things like, where is the work done? When is the work done and how is the work done? And so these are questions that are all up in the air. Um, and if I could also just fill in another piece, it's been an overlay, which is mental health. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a big the, one. That's a big one because, you know, before we were in the hybrid world, good, bad, and ugly, we were all in our own pattern. You know, you got up in the same day, you stopped, at, you know, you hit the snooze alarm the same amount of times, you stopped at the same barista, et cetera, et cetera. And Believe it or not, that actually decreases stress to be in that regular pattern. And so now all that's up in the air. Um, and so that addition, those additional changes um, are causing a lot of stress for people, plus just the whole formula of how they're living and figuring it out. Well, many years ago, um, you may not be aware of this, but I wrote a book called Wisdom, Wellness, and Redefining Work, Thriving in a World of Ever-Increasing Complexity. The complexity seems to be the issue, but to thrive in it is about flexibility. How can they be more flexible? Because everybody's looking for higher levels of engagement. They're looking for higher levels of innovation and productivity. They're looking for higher levels of camaraderie, meaning people working together and teaming up. And, you know, this whole workplace is, in such a dynamic state. And I think it has been for some time. This just didn't start with the pandemic. Right. Uh, this started way before the pandemic. But you state that the ongoing debate of the business world is this, remote or remove or remote or office, right? Speak with the listeners about the debate and the myth of this separate world that we live in uh, work life and personal life and our beliefs about separating the two, because 
Look, I've always been uh, an advocate of, I'm going to just say it, I used to attend events called Spirituality in the Workplace. And, you know, we bring our whole selves to work, whether we go from the bedroom to the office that we work in, or we go from the bedroom to the office that we drive to. <laughs> um, but the reality is, for a long time, we weren't even able to show up as our whole selves. Uh, right. And so let's say if I was talking about the term mythos separate worlds pre-pandemic, you and I would be both coming in nine to nine to five. I'm using that word in quotes because many people will argue to me that it was eight to eight or whatever, but we'll call it nine to five. Um, Dolly and, Parton would say nine to five. Right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, we should all be living that world. Um, but what what was the place if you go back in time in um, with knowledge workers is you came to work and you started work like you said people weren't bringing their whole selves to work and so the fact of you being the same person that perhaps didn't you know get a good night's sleep because you were up partying or didn't get a good night's sleep because you were up with a crying baby or you had a fight with your partner, et cetera, you came to work and nobody really wanted to hear those things. Maybe if you had one BFF that you were talking with, but it really wasn't part of the life in the same way on the other end, if you had to get home for something, right? Chances are people at work were not using it as well as if you had a bad day at work, family and friends are not necessarily interested in hearing that, but you are the same person who is coming back and forth. And so again, if we were talking about this pre pandemic, that's what I would have been talking about. Mm -hmm. What's happened over time with the, <clears throat> with the pandemic is sort of all bets are off. And for the individual who is, you know, working at home, right. For one thing, how do you create some boundary? You know, I talk a lot in the book about boundaries and the need for them, you know, when your kitchen where you're prepping dinner and your office are three feet away, there is no boundary. And so how do you separate them? And that's another piece in terms of you're hearing in terms of mental health and people working late and they're not separating any of this thing is where it's driving. The other piece in terms of from a psychological standpoint that people are not experiencing now with this really not a blend when you're working from home is there are no what I call microtransitions. Again, so we talk about overall level of coping. There is something to be said when you had to go through a commute that you had this transition literally of leaving work and you know on the tr commute to work as well as home. I mean, I, I remember when my kids were younger, you know, the message was when mommy's out of her work clothes, you know, mommy's mommy, right? So give you sort of that two minutes of sort of literally changing your role, if you will. And so how do people create those when you're at home working? And the other piece that has happened is that we're now bringing home to work more. So it's not only just right. workers at home, but we're coming to work and one of bringing our homes. And one of the things I've been hearing from managers as people not only are bringing their whole selves to work, they're bringing the whole personals. Um, issues. And I will tell you, if Felice was on the call, the first thing she would be saying, like, employers, you don't want to hear all this because you may be hearing about things that you're going to start dealing with in terms of disabilities, etc. Um, but on a more organic level, I've heard managers say to me things like, Julie, this is way above my pay, 
pay grade because this this separate world is not as separate as it used to be. People are bringing it in, and so managers are sort of going to be like, maybe I'm getting a little bit more than I asked for. Um, and so employees are the people who are sort of having to negotiate these changes. Yeah, well, you know, Julie, a lot of the work today from bigger companies to even smaller companies is is being done by, I'm just going to call them freelancers, right? So they're subcontracting with a lot of people that maybe have five or six gigs. Uh, they happen to be one of the gigs. Um, I do get that, you know, the the world of HR and hiring has really changed. And you mentioned that your point of view is to embrace flexible options. Um, I think if I go way back, this whole thing around freelancers didn't exist very much at all. Um, What do employers need to consider when allowing such flexibility? And how does the issue of trust? Now, here's another one, right? If I hire somebody as a subcontractor to do work for me, it actually should cost me less money, but I don't really know if they're getting everything done on time, but I've hired them for a certain amount. Um, how does this trust issue play into the decision to allow for hybrid workplace? And I'm just going to throw that in, even people that are freelancers working for me. Uh, um, I totally am with you on this. And and I think in terms of a few things, one is embracing flexible options, um, you know, <laughs> Cats out of the bag. Like employers really don't have to have a choice about it. Um, people have experienced it, so now the question is: is you know how are we making it work? Um, I you know I, I do think we're going to maybe getting ahead of ourselves. I do think we're getting back to more people at FaceTime in the office. But so FaceTime is an issue in terms of right when you see trust. We used to measure productivity by if you were sitting in the, your seat in the office, right? Um, you could have been shopping for, you know, somebody's holiday present versus, you know, somebody else is actually doing work. Um, but trust, so you hear trust initials, like, you know, employee employees saying, well, you need to trust me. Well, at the end of the day, again, the lights need to stay on and you don't want your paycheck to bounce. And so they're running a business. And so trust really works two ways. And it fundamentally is, are you meeting the deliverables? And I hear you in terms of people who are gig workers, you know, part-time, et cetera, that one of the burdens that are sitting under management is to defining the deliverable. Mm-hmm. And that takes work because if you're going to build trust, then you have to, and it's reasonable for a manager, excuse me, to expect people meeting those deliverables. I will tell you an extreme, um, and this is, I see this shifting a lot as we're moving. It had really been an employee's work environment that I didn't like it, Greg. I could quit and I could find a job across the street. Not so much the case anymore. Um, it's becoming a little bit more of an employer's um, market, market, but right. market, right? So, um, it, but part of what I've seen is managers being afraid because they're hearing, trust me, trust me, trust me. Managers are being afraid to set expectations as simple as responding to an email. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and, and I'm talking about bosses, I mean, direct reports rep- responding to their bosses. Um, 
an email. I mean, that's, I don't know, isn't that written somewhere? Like your boss emails you, you respond back to them. Um, and so, you know, it's one thing to say, trust me. And it's another thing for a manager to expect you to meet deliverables. And so I, I, I'm somebody who sort of doesn't buy the just trust me, you know, what's the expression you need to earn trust. Um, it's really about, you know, understanding what is expected, what is the product, if you will, and is the employee meeting that? Well, you know what, Julie, I've seen, and there's a true dichotomy. I, I get that somebody like Elon Musk, who kind of says, hey, look, you're all fired and we're going to uh, clean house uh, and we're going to bring people in who aren't going to just be here part time. They're going to work and you're going to show up and go through the door. I get that. The dichotomy is, when we spoke about this, Yvonne Chouinard, when you look at the levels of productivity where the culture is embracing what we're talking about and has found the right formula to embrace flex work hours, give people time off, let them be more creative. So this concept's not new. In your estimation, what are the pros to this flexible work schedule and what are some of the cons? I mean, I think I've seen, you know, look, uh, Amazon uh, dictated back again to employees to start coming back to work. That was a while ago, but we've seen the migration back. Um, my son's company, Adobe, the same thing um, uh, with Salesforce. I mean, I've watched many of these companies like move back to more of, hey, come to work versus be away from work. Right, right. Well, well, you know, it's interesting you saying come to work and you said it really nicely. One of the, when I'm working with clients, one of the things I've suggested them shifting is saying you have to come to work, right? And you beautifully didn't say that, right? It's like you have to come in as opposed to the days you come in, right? You know, when you say you have to, it's almost sounding like you're setting it up that it's a punishment versus it's just the state of affairs, which is you come into the office these days. Right. Um, so I don't know if you realize that, Greg, but you said it in a really nice way Thank um, you. in terms in, in terms of norm, making it sort of a um, an, a norm, if you will. Um, I, I think the first piece is looking at the word flexible. And flexible initially meant like come and go as you want, like, and, you know. We, we sort of had this argument, you had, the, you had the big banks initially saying, come in five days a week, and literally the employees just didn't come in. So, right. um, and so, so we're now trying to find some meaningful way. But, I, um, you know, the other shift that I'm seeing and I'm really working at folks is, is getting away from this determination of flexible based on the number of days in the week. You know, is this a two-day in-office week company or three days? And if that's where the conversation, the, the policy begins and ends, it is a meaningless policy. Because if you come in Mondays and Tuesdays, and I come in on Wednesdays and Thursdays, and you and I on Mondays are ending up communicating via Zoom, there's no reason for you to have been in the office. And so, you know, one of the things in terms of defining what flexible is, and initially flexible, all the power is sitting with the employees. And it's like, that means I can come and go when I want. Just to, trust me, I'll get my work done. And now what we're seeing and what we're advising is you have to have some purpose of somebody coming into the office. There has to be a reason because if there's no reason, then most people will say, I'll just work at home. So you're and saying so what, that that has to be part of the policy. That, right. And, and it's... Right. And, 
So what what is an example, Julie, of somebody you've worked with that during all this chaos with COVID emerged through this the other side and really created a culture and environment where they are thriving in a hybrid workplace? One of the ones that comes to mind, and they've really done it beautifully, um, is they, this is a large architectural firm building the likes of the tallest buildings in the world. So they're not mm -hmm. renovating your kitchen or my house. So this is clearly, you're, you're building buildings like this. There's a lot of collaboration that needs to be happening, a lot of creativity, like you know you were saying, you, you know your, your son has been mentioning. And what they did coming out of COVID, which was really phenomenal, and they had a decent culture before COVID, they did a complete, I'll call it an internal rebrand. And in that rebrand, they not only defined who they were as an organization, they defined everybody's contribution to that. And so they started with a, they tapped into everybody's individual needs and value and said, we value you in, and part of us creating a whole is that each, every one of you matter. And so, and I mean, it, it was really powerful. They spent a lot of time on creating this. We worked on, you know, very you know, carefully wordsmithing it. So it wasn't just about the big hole. It was about everybody's connection to the hole. Mm -hmm. And then they worked towards, okay, let's step back. And again, working at getting alignment, which is a really important piece that, you know, you see sometimes employers do a great job of defining what it looks like to be collaborative, but they don't take the time to make sure that the employees get it and buy into it. They spent a lot of time working in small groups and teams, having them talk about their quote unquote product that they write everybody, you know, you have the engineers, you have the designers and helping them through it, own the fact that they are again, part of a whole. Well, and, and I think, I, I think, look, if anybody in HR or a CFO they know the human capital value of their company, meaning it's on the balance sheet. And there are people that work in partnership with them. I'm going to use this term, call them their employees, call them what you want, but they really need to become partners in the business and look at it that way, um, are the ones that are really going to make the difference on what I would call an exponential growth, an exponential new product, something that's going to change the face of the company, whatever it might be. And you talked about the role of this leadership and you used a term called interpersonal glue um, in, in the chapter on connecting, right? Um, it, you provide the readers with some action steps in building interpersonal glue and the direct reports and the team at large, so we're just talking about teams and collaboration, uh, speak about some of those action steps. It was very clear in your book, and I thought it was a, a good part to highlight. Yeah, no, uh, totally. We'll give you some specific examples um, in a moment. I just want to also sort of share with the listeners about the importance of interpersonal glue um, and connections. Um, it is, it is, and again, operational word, personal, interpersonal glue. It is not just about us connecting on the work, because if we have a personal relationship, 
that we will be able to plow through the good times and the bad. You and I are working on a project and we don't agree, but we like each other. We will right. work through that and we will get to the other side. Um, and so when we were in the office all the time, it was the proverbial water cooler. Um, I could just stop by your office and say, you want to grab lunch. And so it happened really organically. You know, I'd walk in, I'd pass your desk. We'd talk for a few minutes. So we don't necessarily have that now. So let's talk about what are some of the ways that that could happen. Um, and so first of all, the, think about interpersonal glue from a leader standpoint, there are three things, uh, sort of bulk areas they need to think about. They need to think about their personal glue with their direct reports. They need to think about facilitating the direct, the interpersonal glue and connections within their team. And they need to ultimately think about creating opportunities for individuals to be building their own interpersonal glue. So again, we have to now think creatively because they can't just stop by. So what are some, and this is, these are working on the premise that we are not located in the same place, because obviously if we're in the same place, then we could use the good old fashioned ways, right? So what does it look like for a boss to set up some, what I'll call rituals? And this is, you know, personal, you know, in terms of the frequency, some people it's every day, some days it's week. I mean, it sounds kind of simple, but just taking the time to reach out to somebody, send them a Slack. How you doing? I mean, literally, it can be short and sweet, but it's a way of sort of you're on my radar. Um, and so as simple as that. And so let, let's take it a little bit more advanced, if you will. So what does it look like to create? And this does sound good old fashioned, but I can tell you it is not um, frequently the norm is have a regularly scheduled meeting with the person, you know, good old fashioned mm -hmm. 101s. They don't necessarily happen as frequently as they should I know many, many managers are like, oh, we don't have anything to talk about it. We can skip it. Well, that's not how the employee experiences it. So take that time to be conscious of, of um, you know, when you're available on a regular basis. The other th thing I suggest is what did, what did open office hours look like, right? We don't, most of us experienced it when we were in college or in high school, right? Where you're a teacher, set a block of time every day that they were in their office or whatever frequency, you could just stop by. And so I've worked with leaders to create a time of office hours where, and practically it's literally about leaving open your Zoom or your Teams or whatnot. And so anybody knows it's a standard link that between say 12 and one every day, the boss is available for a quick question or whatnot. Um, bosses, nobody's calling them, they can do their own work or eat lunch or what have you. Um, but again, creating some forum where there's a natural flow every day to be connecting. It also could mean, and this is again, the personal side, and we're going to get into the team flowing, is like, what are some rituals that the team can do that the boss could facilitate? One of the things I talk about is a pre-meeting. So if we were all in the office and we have a two o'clock meeting, Chances are some people will show up at five to two, some people will show up at two, some people will show up at 10 after two. And so during that probable span of 15 minutes, most people don't quote unquote start working. They just are, you know, catching up. How was your weekend? You know, did you find any good restaurants? How's your partner, et cetera? And that's building that into personal glue. So what do we have now and how do you create it in this remote world? Um, 
so and in consciously what I call a pre-meeting. I mean, you know, these days, if you're one minute late for a two o'clock meeting, it's like, I'm sorry, I'm late. If you're three minutes late, I'm really sorry that I was late, right? Um, there's no time for those pre-meetings. And so come up, you know, with, first of all, allow the group to have permission to spend the time. And the only rule about this is it's not uh, work basis. Does, and and so some clients, they just set that and they've got a chatty enough group that they don't have to structure anything. And they know people auto automatically will sort of keep things going. And, and other places, they come up with something more structured. You mm -hmm. know, the good old fashioned icebreakers um, that you, you'd hear about um, if you were doing some kind of team building, but come up with some structure and they could be, there are lots of different ways you can do it. Um, just come up with some fun things and again, trying to create some structure for a team that wouldn't naturally flow into it. Um, one of my favorite ones recently um, is everybody sharing, you know, the last two things you bought online. Mm. Um, and it's amazing how interesting, how much I did it with a group recently. And there's one woman who was buying, you know, child favors because she was having a five-year-old and there was another person who was buying doorknobs. And so, for the first person, you know, people were learning she had young kids. And for the second person, they were learning the person just moved um, and they were renovating their apartment. So, again, creating some um, structure for the think, unstructured, if you will. I think one of the things about building a community, no matter what it is, is and I recently had uh, Charles Vogel on here, um, is that we care. In other words, one thing to say social media is community. It's another thing that we're trying to help one another in some way, right? Versus that. Now, I think that that process you just talked about pre-meeting, it needs to happen kind of naturally. It needs to happen where people can express themselves some way and feel like they're being heard and being heard by other people that care that they'll really want to hear versus just talking about trivia or something like that. And right. I don't clearly know how exactly to set that up, but I think that there is uh, probably a divine way for that to be created. Uh, you're calling it interpersonal glue, and I think that that's good, and I think the pre-meetings are a great idea. They're, they're certainly a good idea. Um, staying on this thought about uh, leaders, <clears throat> you talk, your book throughout is about intentionality throughout the book. So that's like, this is my intention. Um, how can you help leaders get off of automatic pilot regarding how they communicate um, and especially having effective communications in the hybrid workplace? Because I think what happens is, doesn't matter if it's a Zoom call or it's some other Slack or it's how we're communicating with somebody, uh, people get into a pattern and they kind of keep that pattern and they don't break it. They don't change the mold. They are who they are. And I think it's not that we want them to change, but we want the result to be different. So it's like I come to a meeting. I just say, well, I don't want to go to another meeting. I want there to be something meaningful that happens at that meeting. Right. So the first, so the first part of what you're saying, the second part about meetings are two different things. And actually in the book, I have a whole thing on meetings. Uh, meetings are one of the things I say, don't get me started on because mm -hmm. I've never met anybody who said I spent too much time in meetings and half of them are useless. 
Um, so, so the first piece, and on that one that I talk about is doing what I call a meeting inventory, which is start with looking at the meetings that you're having. Meetings are expensive. I mean, if you right, put right. a couple of personnel in the same room, then you're multiplying what their salary is in that one hour. Um, right. Again, there's a full, very specific guidelines in the book, but just throwing out some of it is starting at looking at who's invited to the meeting. Is there a reason for it? What is the purpose you know, get, you know, get away from the, you know, Monday morning. I can't tell you how many people I hear about Monday morning meetings and everybody's like dreading it because it's a complete waste of time. It's like, well, what is the purpose of it? Um, and so that's what I'm saying in terms of being um, intentionality is you have to start questioning things that you've been having questioned in the past. I think in general, I put it that way. And so in terms of communication, the good news, the bad news is we have a gazillion modes of communication. We can Slack, right? We can text, we can use mirror boards, we can use Google Notes, we can email, like the list goes on and on. Um, and what happens with with as a breakdown of the communication is people are doing the same thing. I literally was in a team meeting yesterday and during before he got started, one person said to the other, hey, you haven't responded to my email. And the other person said, I don't read emails, it's all on Slack. And so you see, I mean, it was so obvious that, that you know, part of the reason the breakdown of communication, they literally were, were communicating differently. Right. And so one of the things that I talk about is sitting down as a team and coming up with a communication charter. So start, go up a level, right? And think about how do we need to communicate and what ways do we need to communicate the good news is the boss is you have a little bit more weight in terms of how you're, how you're finding if we're using email or Slack or whatnot. Um, but come to some common agreements. The other thing, again, very practically is have conversations about if you have multiple and let's just say simply we have email, Slack and individual phones. Let's just simplify it for that. And you literally say, if you need an answer in the next 24 hours, shoot an email, or if it's factual base, you need to documentation. If it's something you need in the next hour, shoot me a Slack. If it's something you need in the next 10 minutes, you can text me. And if it's something you need in the next minute, you can call me, but use that very, very sparingly. And, right, so and I think, I think your, your questioning about meetings is very, very valid. And I saw that in the book. Um, I also would probably throw in there, Julie, a why. Um, why are we meeting? Most people who are at senior levels and are trying to have meetings are wanting to know what the why is. Um, and, you know, if you keep digging down, you'll probably find a lot, like you said, a lot of the times there isn't a, a significant reason. Uh, but... I'm not certain, and I know this might sound confusing, sometimes there doesn't need to be a reason. The reason is that we are collaborating together, that we're coming together as a team, that um, we're having time to speak about, like you said, somebody had doorknobs and somebody else was buying things for a five-year-old. Um, some people may not want to come to that, so make it voluntary, right? They don't want to hear the pre-meeting stuff. Great, then just come to the meeting, right? Uh, uh, that we're uh, having. Greg, I'm actually gonna, I'm actually gonna, sorry, interrupt you and push back a little bit on that one. Go ahead. If you say by definition, um, I as a leader think that it's important for my team to connect. 
though why are you going to give somebody a pass for showing up to that meeting? You can give them a pass if they don't have to talk, right? You don't want to force people to, to talk. But if you're saying you don't have to come to the meeting, that I value connection, but you can opt out for it, then what is the leader saying? The leader saying, didn't, I'm I didn't say the meeting. I said the pre-meeting. All right. But, but even, so, I'm saying even the pre-meeting. I'm saying even yeah. the pre-meeting with a smile, <laughs> lovingly pushing okay. back. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, again, you, I don't, I wouldn't ever suggest anybody force somebody to come. Right. But if the message as you were just saying is about connecting, I think your message is you need to be there. Okay. Uh, it's valid. It's certainly valid. But let's talk about this in the context of collaboration. Um, you define collaboration as being connected with communications. You state that it includes interpersonal glue and giving and receiving. Uh, talk with a listener about the five elements of communications, which you outline in the book. And I think those elements are important because you were just talking about some of them a minute ago. Um, and, you know, we all have different communication styles, but we don't always know what the other person's communication style is. You just said one guy said he was on Slack and the other guy's waiting for you to respond to the email, right? It's like, that's a pretty good one that should be in a policy or in some kind of guidelines. Right? Yeah, totally. Um, and I think there's other, you know, you probably can see more generationally. I mean, again, I'm generalizing, but typically folks who are older prefer email they've been doing it for a while and folks who are younger prefer slack folks who are older do remember that if you pick up this thing that's about three by four it's called a phone and you actually can call somebody although most people don't even do that and you talk to somebody who's younger they never want to talk on the phone so um one of the things in terms of the five elements again this sense of intentionality is think about what they are and what's the best way to um to communicate. And so the five elements, and I'll give you a little word on each of them, but the words, how it looks, how you sound, what's your body language, and the overall appearance. And so the words are literally what's on the paper. And I think we all know of times when there's been a miscommunication. Um, if it was my preference, I would have emojis become business standard because it is our attempt to put emotion into the words, you know, so if I'm saying something and I'm joking, I can put a smile. Whereas if I don't put that in it, again, it's not really used. So, but, but if without it, you not, may not know if I'm serious or I'm yelling or I'm mad or I'm happy or joking. Um, so, so, you know, the good news about verbal is it's, you can document it and it's written or it's obviously when you speak, when you speak, but before we get into the speaking, because that brings in the other components. But when you use things like Google Docs and emails um, and Word, et cetera, you just have the words that you're communicating with. Then you add the visual. And the visual is everything from a piece of paper where, again, you know, you talk to the architects or creative folks, they're thinking they add visuals a lot. But let's talk about the visual first for your body. Um, and this is where I get to folks about, um, I've been coaching people in terms of just Zoom, right? So you and I are not sitting in the same room, but we can see each other. We can see that we're both not wearing t-shirts that we rolled out of bed. Um, and so we're both making 
um, a visual impression. I speak a bunch in the book about, you know, Zoom and how you're looking on the camera because those things matter. People, people, um, it, you're communicating something. If you're sitting there sort of slacking and your eyes are half closed or you're looking elsewhere, you're communicating, even though your words may be the same. The next component is your voice. Um, and if you look at our mediums, we went from the written word to some pictures. And then if you pick up the phone and you're talking voice to voice, your voice qualities, the how fast you are, whether you're yelling, whether you're soft, whether you're, you know, using a lot of punch and emphasizing, you can communicate a lot of things, right? You can tone down whether it's sarcastic or you're joking just with your vocal qualities. And so just even getting up to there, that's where it's sort of pick up the, when you, when you have folks where you're getting, there's the email or the Slack and they're going back and forth and there's no interpersonal glue and you're feeling some tension, pick up the phone. You know, chances are there is some breakdown in the communication, the collaboration. And when you add in the, the, the vocal qualities, a lot of this can be dissipated. The body language is everything from, are you smiling, how you're appearing, are your hands crossed, are you moving a lot? We communicate a lot of that, which is part of the reason of the beautiful part of Zoom, right? That we've added on top of the, the verbal from the phone and the qualities, we've now added body language. And a lot of, of, um, a, a lot of the qualities of how we communicate or how our bodies move. And the mm -hmm. appearance is the overall sort of, you know, how are you coming across? Um, and it's everything from your dress. Again, I mean, I have been working, was working with somebody recently. They were in a, you know, large media company, a young population. We were talking about presence on Zoom. And somebody was like, you know, I really don't want my camera on because then I need to think about if I've showered in the morning and if my T-shirt's wrinkled. I'm, I'm not making this up. This is true. Right. Um, and so he wants to leave his camera off and, and it's like, you're not going to connect with anybody. And oh, by the way, they're going to be doing layoffs. And I promise you, if this guy's never present and has no appearance, probably going to be the first person on the layoff list. Yeah. Um, and, and so putting these all together really communicate your presence. Well, and I, I, I'll say a word for silence. Silence is a communicator. Um, just not saying anything, right? Um, the question is, people are wondering what you're thinking or what what is going on, but it is a big communicator, and oftentimes it's a positive one, uh, depending on how you choose to frame it. Um, now look, that, what? No, I was just going to say absolutely, because the other piece about silent is you're presumably listening. Well, in in being a podcast interview. Frequently, I'm silent over here, and I have to be listening because uh, I'm listening for cues uh, for what someone's speaking about or the next question, or is it time to kind of interrupt because it's gone on a little bit too long? We need to go here. We need to go there. Um, but I will say for my listeners, go get a copy of Thrive with a Hybrid Workplace. And the last question for you, Julie, is this. You know, the book is filled with great advice. It's really well laid out. I want to tell my listeners. And if you want to go find out more about it, go to Julie, J-U-L-I-E, Cantor, K-A-N-T-O-R.com forward slash book. You can see it just by clicking book. Um, there you can actually see the table of contents. You can 
look into it. Um, it's it's really well done website. That page in particular about the book is awesome. Um, what big three points would you like to leave the listeners with regarding creating a productive, creative, and engaging hybrid workplace? The first thing I would say is not all days are created equal. Uh, the whole purpose of hybrid and flexibility is have a nice intersection between what you have to do at work, how you're getting your work done and when you're getting it done. And so if you're going to be splitting time with work, the time that you spend at home should be time that you're doing quiet work, right? Reading the book, writing a document. And then when you're in the office, there's times we have to be mindful about connecting with those. I mean, I've heard people like, you know, I went into the office and I didn't get any work done because I was talking with people all day long. Well, in fact, that is getting work done. And so if we tie to this intentionality piece, you have to now think about the fact that it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, which are the most common days people are in. That's how you're going to be spending your time. Um, the next piece is about interpersonal glue. Um, connect, 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 connect. Um, it's you know it's you know by you said this earlier you know we are social beings um in terms of creating a culture um i have yet to see a culture where nobody connects and everybody's in their own little zone and so what does it look like to connect with the people around you both as a group as a team um, as well as individual one-on-ones um, and the last piece i would say is about balance and the balance is between both you and your work um, sitting, looking at it from a home perspective, as well as from a work. One of the things I see are shifting in terms of where hybrid's going to land is it's not all about you and personal. And in fact, part of hybrid is you within a team, you within an organization, um, because at the end of the day, you want your paycheck to clear. Very true. Well, you've given our listeners a lot to think about. And I think the important thing in kind of hybrid to me would be really sensing that, you know, I think most people today are looking for work with more meaning. You said, oh, it's now more of an employer's hiring environment. I still believe that if you're going to do work, have work that's meaningful for you. Have something where it doesn't feel like work. The word work sometimes brings up connotations of negative things. What I would like Alva listeners to think about is, is the work that I'm doing making a contribution to society in general at whole? Does it have a meaning for me personally? Uh, does it give me fulfillment? Do I get joy from it? Uh, am I ecstatic about the people that I work with because it's a great bunch of people? And do I have a love for uh, the work that I'm doing. And I think if you go to work, if you're going to call it work with that sense, you're never going to look at work as work. You're going to look at it as something that's enjoyable in a vocation. I, I love it. I love it. And the piece I would, you know, so nicely talk about is the partnership between people bringing that love and passion and wanting purpose an employer who can help meet them and match them and do it. So they're sort of singing together. Um, I just hope that more employers realize the importance of 
their HR department in communicating and onboarding so that there isn't high turnover and people do get that from their workplace. That is really a key to it, right? It's like, okay, I onboarded, but did I have a good day onboarding or a good week or was I being mentored by people or what did it feel like? Um, I think that's so important. But you've given us a new, unique perspective on all this. Everybody go out and get the book. Uh, Julie, appreciate having you on. Um, Felice, even though she wasn't here today, I want to give a big shout out, shout out to her because she had a big contribution in this book as well. Um, thank you so much. I appreciate Greg, it. And, great. It's great talking with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Oh, you're quite welcome. You have a good rest of your day. Namaste to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.